126, actually. Psalm 126. Soul winning recipe. Ladies like recipes, right? Well, this is all going to be teas. So you'll be able to put all the teas in the pot there and become a soul winner, amen? Soul winning recipe. Psalm 126. I'm going to read the whole psalm. I'm keying in on verse 6 though. So let's read Psalm 126 together. When the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion, we were like them that dream. Then was our mouth filled with laughter and our tongue with singing. Then said they among the heathen, The Lord hath done great things for them. The Lord hath done great things for us, whereof we are glad. Turn again our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray, Lord, You just bless the preaching now, Lord, to our hearts. Use Your Word to convict us of truth. And uh, Lord, just to be become better soul winners, Lord. And uh, so we commit this time to You in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know who the psalmist is that wrote this psalm, but <clears throat> I would imagine he was writing about the captivity. If they come back from Babylon, they were glad to be back. And freedom, and that God had brought them back out of that captivity. And uh, But when it gets to verse 6, it just seems like it was written for soul winning. And uh, I want to pull some things out of there to, to look at tonight. Uh, some recipe. It's like a recipe of ingredients needed to win souls. You know, you were talking about things that were, are eternal. Uh, the only thing that's eternal here right now is a soul. Uh, besides, you know, ideas and principles out of the Bible. But it's your soul that's eternal. And that's what we should be concerned about are the souls of people out there in the world today. So, uh, the introduction, there's a way to win souls, okay? And I want to make sure that we all understand that when we make soul winning a part of what we are as Christians, it's just not something we do, it's what we are. Uh, we are Christians and we're supposed to go and make other Christians. Uh, we'll see better results when we realize that it's a part of our life. It's not just not something we add on. It should be a part of our life. It's always a win-win situation when you hand out a tract to someone. You are giving them the Gospel and you are obeying the Lord. There's nothing wrong with that. Everything good about that. But some people, I think, think that it's only for the pastor or you know certain people to go soul winning. And that can happen that way on programs and Saturday afternoons going soul winning. Some people have to work or they're, maybe they're just not comfortable. They never really got in all the way with that. But I just want you to know that sheep make sheep, you know, uh, not the shepherd. The sheep is the one that make other sheep. I'm glad somebody took time to come and tell me about Jesus Christ and uh, knock on my door and interrupt my life. And uh, I'm glad because I got saved because one sheep told somebody how to become a sheep. And uh, so we need to remember that. So when we preach the gospel, we are doing the Lord's business. Amen. Uh, this, the Bible says in, in Matthew 28:19, "Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and in the Holy Ghost." We're doing the Lord's business. It's what God wants us to do. I think it's one of the reasons He saved us, not only to glorify Himself, but also to win souls. Otherwise, I have no reason to stay here. I have no reason why He would leave me here. 
except to serve Him and glorify Him and, and to preach the Gospel to others. Now if I asked uh, how many of you have ever won a soul? How many of you have ever won a soul to Christ? I mean, don't raise your hand or anything, but I wonder what the response would be. Um, what the percentage would be. Or have you even tried? Have you ever even tried? You say, you can't ask such a question. Well, yes, you can. Because Christians don't soul win. Christians don't share their faith. And that's the shame of the church today. Uh, we're caught up in a lot of other things, but 95% of all Christians have never won a soul to Jesus Christ. Now, it's one thing to actually win a soul, to be there when somebody bows the knee and, and asks Christ to save them, uh, but um, it's, a, it's a whole other thing to never even try. Uh, we should be, we should be uh, soul winning. We are Christians, and we should be trying to make other Christians. You have to ask yourself, have you even tried? 80% of all Christians do not consistently witness for Christ. And then less than 2% are involved in the ministry of evangelism. Less than 2%. I remember a church of three, 300, 330 on Sunday morning, and there was only three people out for soul winning on Tuesday. And one of them was the pastor and a deacon. Three people. That's pretty sad, isn't it? Uh, it's a it's a totally different story here at this church when I hear 15, 20 people going out. It's a whole different percentage. But why? Why don't people win souls? Why don't people tell others about what God has done in their life? Why don't we share our faith? Well, there's plenty of reasons, and one of them is the flesh. We just don't want to go to a door. We don't want to be rejected. We don't want to hear that we're weird and, uh, you know, please take that somewhere else, or I'm okay, or... I'm Catholic and don't bother me. And Some people just think it's not important. Some Christians are apathetic. They just don't care about other people. Some people don't think they have the time to do it. But I remind you that the time that you have was given to you by God. I'm not trying to put a guilt trip on anybody, but guess what? I'm trying to put a guilt trip on all of us. <laughs> we don't stand guilty before God if we're not trying to win souls in some way. Your neighbor, or, excuse me, friends or family or someone. It's for somebody else to do. You know, in Isaiah 58.1, the Bible says, Cry aloud, spare not, lift up thy voice like a trumpet, and show my people their transgression, house of Jacob, their sins. Uh, we don't lift our voice up to tell people anything. We don't want to be involved in soul winning. We, we, the flesh shrinks back from that. It doesn't like rejection. But my friend, if somebody was stuck in a building and the, and the building was on fire, you would yell, fire! You would do all you could to try to help them get out of a dangerous situation. You would stop somebody if they were trying to go through the road and the road was, the bridge was out. You'd say, stop! Stop! The bridge is out! But we don't do that with, with people that are going to hell. Not for a million years and not for ten million years. Forever. No hope. No hope forever. We don't warn them. And I, and I wonder if we just don't believe. What I mean by that is we don't believe people are going to get saved. So we don't even, we don't even tell them. We don't warn them. Turn to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. 
Galatians chapter 3 and in verse 13, the Bible says, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is every one that hangeth on a tree. You see that? Christ hath redeemed us. Christ hath bought us back from our sin, from that, from being a slave to our sin and dying and going to hell. He has redeemed us. He's paid the price for us so that we can be saved. First Peter chapter one. Turn to first Peter chapter one. First Peter chapter one and in verse eighteen. The Bible says, For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. He's our Redeemer. What a precious thing to know that Jesus Christ is my Redeemer. And He's your Redeemer if you're saved. And why not share that information, share that Gospel with others. Because you know what? He's their Redeemer too. He died for the sins of the whole world. How are they going to know unless we tell them? How will they know that there's somebody that died on the cross for their sin? He's not just our Redeemer. He's the Redeemer of the whole world. You know, we make the cross and the work of the cross and the power of the cross a vain thing when we don't tell people about it. I mean... Somebody died on a cross for your sins, Jesus Christ, but if you don't tell them, how are they going to know? It's almost like we've, <clears throat> we've put a, a blanket over the, over the power of the cross. If people aren't going to know what He did for them, we need to proclaim the saving power of Jesus Christ. Otherwise, it seems like a vain thing. Turn to John chapter 15. John chapter 15. John chapter 15 and in verse 16, the Bible says, You have not chosen Me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that ye should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever you shall ask the Father in My name, He may give it to you. You know, God's chosen us. God's put His finger on us and ordained that we should go and be fruitful. And that, that glorifies God. Bring forth fruit. Not stand around idly by and just wait for somebody else to do it while precious souls go to hell. Aren't you glad somebody took the time to tell you how to be saved? So, what's the recipe? Well, the first thing is going. You see that in the verse in Psalm 126.6? He that goeth forth and weepeth. He that goeth forth. The first thing it's going to take, work, toil is the T. It means you have to go. The first thing you have to do is to go. That's the first step. Mark 16.15 says, And He said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the Gospel to every creature. Go. It's the hardest thing though. It's the first step. Even like a little baby takes that first step. You know, once they get done crawling, then they climb up and they hold on to the, onto the couch or something and a table and then they're moving around the table and, and that first step where they have to let go, they're unsteady, they're fearful. That's the way Christians are of actually opening their mouth and telling someone about Jesus Christ. Just going is the hardest step. Most Christians will never start. 
They will not go soul winning. They will not share their faith. They're just not going to do it. Someday you'll have to answer to God for that. But it's work. That's why this guy up here, I don't want to go to work tomorrow. Many Christians are the same way. I am not going. I am not doing that. Why? Because it takes work to win souls. Matthew 4.19 says, Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And I like to tell people the same thing I was told. They call it fishing, not catching. It's not easy to catch fish. And it's not easy to win souls. It takes work. It's hard to win a soul. But we're supposed to go to work. Because that's what God saved us for. It takes time. But it's not your time. Well, we think it is. But God's given us plenty of time to do the things that He wants us to do. You know, I was told as a young Christian that God's, God's callings and God's duties never conflict. If He tells us to do something, then we're supposed to have the time to do it. We should prioritize it. The time is given to me by God. And I need to do what God calls me to do and God calls all of us to do. It takes patience. Just waiting takes faith to wait on somebody. You know, I, I, many a person you've witnessed to maybe and uh, you're like, I hope they call me tonight and tell me they got saved, you know. Uh, I would love to know they got saved and you pray for them and you pray for them. And then maybe if you finally hear it, you get a phone call or a text that says, I've trusted Christ as my Savior. And you start walking a couple feet off the ground you don't touch down for a few days because someone's gotten saved. But it takes patience. And God's always there though. He's working behind the scenes. God is always on call. You never have to worry about Him wanting to see a soul saved. Psalm 121.4 says, Behold, he that keepeth Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. He's always watching. He's always there. He's always working behind the scenes. Places that we can't go and we, and we won't... I mean, somebody's up in their bedroom and it's dark and they're, and, they're, and they're wrestling with God and finally they get saved. You can't be there. You don't need to be there. God's there. God's doing what only God can do. Convicting a heart and then telling them, I died, I died on the cross for your sins and finally they'll get saved. But you know, sometimes it takes your treasure. Money. It actually takes money to get somebody saved. You may have to buy them a coffee. You know? <laughs> you may have to buy them an alarm clock. Say, what is that all about? Well, back in the States, we're on the bus ministry, and on Saturday, you always go out and you knock on the doors of some of the kids, trying to make sure that they're going to be there for Sunday morning. Make sure you're up at 9 o'clock. Make sure you're up. And uh, Sunday morning come around and knock on the door and nobody answers, you know. Mom and Dad, they might be strung out. I'm talking about in federally subsidized housing. These are low income. These are the ghetto kids. And you go out and you try to get them onto the bus, you see. And nobody answers the door. So you go back another Saturday and finally the kid answers the door and you say, Hi, we missed you last week. He said, Well, I got up late. So one of the guys I was with that was coming with me on my route, my bus route, he says, uh, we got to go to Kmart. That's like Walmart. I said, why? He says, we're going to buy him an alarm clock. And he bought him one of the ones that wind up. So he had to actually wind up that clock. And when it, when it went off at the time, he showed him how to set it. 
it would ring, and he thought that was amazing. And you know what? He was on the bus the next week, and the week after that. And I'll never forget uh, that young that young boy. He, he was a pudgy little thing, but he was a, such a blessing. His dad had these teardrops tattooed on his eye. He was a gangbanger from up in New York. And they came down to live in Winteringham. And uh, in a federally subsidized housing. And, you know, just, that's the kind of kids we got on the bus. I don't remember if he ever got saved. But um, sometimes you just have to spend a little money. It's going to cost you a little bit. Your time. It's going to cost you maybe uh, some, some euros out of your pocket. But always remember, this is for the Lord. And He loves you. And we love Him. The world's not our friend. The world does not love us. The world doesn't care about you. The world is not your friend. God is. So we always have to keep our focus heavenward. What, what am I doing for the Lord? Like Colossians 3 once says, set your affections on things above and not on things of the earth. Keep your focus heavenward. The next one, Oh yeah, it's a thankless job. <laughs> and it certainly is. Now, weeping. That's tears. Toil and then tears. He that goeth forth and weepeth. You say, what does that mean? Well, do we really have a God-given burden and a concern for the lost? Do we even care? I mean, do we realize that when, they're, when they die and go to hell, it's forever? Aren't you glad you're not going to hell? I mean, wouldn't you, would you stick your finger on the burner on the stove for just five seconds? Just five seconds. Stick your finger on the burner on the stove. Why not? Because it hurts. Well, how'd you like to spend an eternity burning in darkness, falling? That's where they're going. And, uh, you know, you think about your loved ones and your own family that are that are dying and going to hell. If my brother doesn't get saved, he's going to hell. In your family, you have people that are not saved. That causes you to, to cry sometimes and to shed some tears. And those tears keep you committed uh, to, to caring about them. Do you have a concern for the lost? You know, getting the proper burden from the Bible and prayer. You keep reading the Bible. You keep reading about Jesus and what He did and how He he witnessed and that woman at the well I always think about. And you'll start to get a burden. You ask God to give you a burden. If you just obey, if we just obey, we would get a burden. If we just did what God said to do, the burden would come. If we just obeyed God and knocked on doors and you talk to people and you see the desperation and the hopelessness and they're clinging to the things here in this world, you'd start to get a burden. Because by the time you got to the next door, you'd say, my, 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 people are lost, aren't they? They are lost. They are in darkness. Your heartstrings would be touched by what's out there in the world today. Turn to Lamentations. Lamentations. Right after Jeremiah, Lamentations 3. And in verse 51. Lamentations 3 and verse 51 says, Mine eye affecteth mine heart because of all the daughters of my city. You know, 
when you just see people that are lost. You see them clinging to religion or clinging to, well, you know, I was born Catholic or, uh, you know, I don't care or I'm okay and uh, not right now. And sooner or later, that gets you because you realize the world's going to hell (laughs) and you are part of this select little group that's gotten saved because somebody shared the gospel with us. I'd rather them go to hell over me and over past the, my, my words of uh, telling them that they can be saved, they need to be saved. But what you see and what you hear and what you experience will affect your heart. I think tears are the water that the seeds need to bring forth fruit. You sow the seed. You give out tracks at the door. How those? How's that going to grow? How's that seed going to grow? I think... You're, you're praying. You're, you're beseeching God on behalf of these people's souls. You want to see them get saved. And you keep crying out to God, send somebody to my brother. Oh, I wish a soul winner would knock on the door of my brother when he's not listening to me. There's a verse in Ephesians that said, whatsoever you do, God will do it back to you. I don't know how that... Ephesians 6, 8. So that's another reason to go. I figure God will do something good for me. Maybe He'll send somebody to my brother. You know, turn to uh, Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 9. Verse 1, Paul says, I say the truth in Christ, I lie not, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost, that I have a great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. For I wish that myself were cursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh. I wonder, I wonder if Paul had a burden. You know, It's almost like he's saying, you're not going to believe this, what I'm about to tell you. (laughs) So I'm going to tell you that I'm not lying, and the Holy Ghost of God bears witness with me. I would rather be separated from Jesus Christ than to see my kinsmen go to hell. That's what he's saying. That's a burden. I don't know where you are, but I'm not there. Can you imagine having a burden like that? I, th- I think more kids would be going to the to the mission field, raising their hand, and even small gatherings like this, and say, you know what, I'm going to go. In chapter ten and verse one, he says, "Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved." Paul had a had a burden, and he tried to share that burden with others. He had a real love for the things that God loves. See. God loves souls. And uh, Paul loves souls. We have to ask ourselves, do we love souls? God loved, and God loves mankind. So God loves souls, and God loves the world, Romans 5, 8. But God commended His love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God loves the world. The only way for the world to know that is to send them back to the cross of Calvary. For God so loved the world. That's where you find the love of God. Not the zooey-gooey stuff that people talk about. God loves me. God loves you. God loves everybody. Yeah, He does. 
And he says, you're going to go to hell unless you go to the cross and realize that that, my son died there for your sins. That's how you'll experience true love. Real love. Sacrificial love. The greatest expression of love was was the cross, wasn't it? Showed how much he loved us. You're going to have to you're going to have to get a burden. Start shedding some tears. That'll keep you committed to winning souls. And then it says, He that goeth forth and weepeth bearing precious seed. That's the treasure that we have, that we can share. We are sowing incorruptible seed. It's the gospel, the word of God. It's eternal, as is the soul. It's the precious seed, the gospel of Jesus Christ. First Peter chapter one. Turn there with me. Right after Hebrews, you'll find James in 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. And then verse 23. 1 Peter 1.23 says, Being born again not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God which liveth and abideth forever. For all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man is the flower of grass. The grass withereth, and the flower thereof falleth away. But the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word which by the gospel, by the gospel is preached unto you. The gospel is eternal. Souls are eternal. The word of God is eternal. And we bear it. We have that seed. We're able to cast out that seed. We bear the precious seed of God. Amen? The Lord's Gospel. And we can offer it to a lost world. Imagine the most precious gift in us. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and in verse 7. Second Corinthians 4, 7 says, well, let's start in verse 6. For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God, not of us. We have the very Gospel in us. And we can, we can send it forth with our lips and with our feet and with our eyes and our ears and, and going and telling others it's in us. We have it. We have a precious gift that we can share with the world. You and I are the sowers with Jesus. Mark 4.3 says, Therefore, Hearken, behold, there went out a sower to sow. That's Jesus Christ. But we're sowers of the Gospel also. We can sow that one true Gospel. And God promises to save them that believe. I carry with me the precious seed of the Word of God. Everywhere I go, I can tell people about Jesus Christ. But you have to scatter the seed. The seed has to be scattered everywhere. No one's too rich. No one's too poor. No one's too good. And certainly no one's too bad. For all of sin that come short of the glory of God, you can't run into the wrong person to share the Gospel with. We have a treasure, and it's in us. We have it. How people can be saved. The next thing is believing. That's trusting. The Bible says, He that goeth forth and and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless, doubtless come again with rejoicing. 
We have to believe that people will get saved. You know, I've caught myself sometimes knocking on a door and being discouraged and saying, and as I'm knocking, I'm thinking, they're just going to turn me away like the last door did. Now, don't tell me you didn't think the same thing at times. You can get downcast a bit and you say, I'm going to spend two hours out here soul winning. Nobody's going to get saved. (laughs) That's a horrible way to go soul winning. You have to catch yourself and say, wait a minute. I'm sowing the precious seed of the Word of God. People can get saved. I need to have a good attitude about this. I have to believe it. I got to believe that the gospel can save people. I know it saved me. The gospel hasn't lost its power. We have. The gospel's the same. We're fearless. We don't believe that anything's going to happen. If we're honest with ourselves, we think it's just an hour, hour and a half of just knocking on doors and hearing the same old, same old. And you do. But somebody's going to get saved out there. You keep it up and somebody's going to get saved. You ever notice you put in the hard work out there and then, then you find out you have visitors. And then one of them gets saved and you had nothing to do with that. But you were just following the, you know, following the Lord and, and just doing your, uh, duty and loving to go out soul winning and, and then, and then a visitor comes and gets saved. If we're going to see souls saved though, we got to believe that our work is not in vain. That what we're doing is going to bring forth fruit shall doubtless come again. We need to have faith in the gospel to save. Can you imagine a farmer wanting a crop and never plowing the field? You know, I feel like that's what I'm doing in McCroom because I, I, I got to, at some point, the plow has got to get below the surface. Right now it just keeps riding like it's on cement. But at some point, I believe that it's going to break the surface. And, uh, Whatever I can do and whatever all of us can do down there to see somebody get saved, we got to get that plow deeper in the ground and start breaking up that ground. And once the ground's broken up, you put the seed in. The farmer plants the seed and he expects the rain. You know why? Because he expects a harvest. He expects something to grow. We ought to expect souls to be saved. The plowing, the planting, the rain, and all is for a harvest. The ground is hard. And uh, so are hearts. Christian hearts are hard. That's what God needs to break up first. Turn to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15 and verse 8. Either what woman having ten pieces of silver, if she lose one piece, doth not light a candle, and sweep the house, and seek diligently till she find it? And when she hath found it, she called her friends and her neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I had lost. Likewise, I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. Imagine the joy in heaven when you got saved. Imagine all the rejoicing. And I realize that what follows this is is the prodigal son, the parable of the prodigal son. And um, But you know what? You can see this is when someone gets saved too. When When a lost sinner repents, that there's joy in the presence of angels. 
I believe Jesus Christ is filled with joy. That's why He went to the cross. For the joy that was set before Him. You see? Souls. Rejoice. What a joy it is to see someone trust Christ. But you have to believe it will happen. What a joy it is to see a Christian get right with God. I'm just trying to apply the fact that when people get saved, there is joy in heaven over it. We ought to rejoice over it too. And trust that it's going to happen. The last T is triumph. Reaping. He that goeth forth and weepeth bearing precious seeds shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. There's going to be a harvest. There's going to be a triumph. There's a reaping. When you sow, there will be a reaping. We could say that that these people that get saved and even yourself are trophies of grace, aren't we? It's by the grace of God that we were able to get saved. So we see these trophies of saving grace. In fact, look at Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews chapter 7. And in verse 25, the Bible says, Wherefore He is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by Him, seeing He ever liveth to make intercession for them. You know, if you'll just give up your religion and trying to get to heaven your own way, and you just come by the way of the cross, Jesus Christ, that He'll save you to the uttermost. All the way. I like that. He takes people from the gutter and takes them to the utter. Amen? All the way. It doesn't matter who you are. If you come by Jesus Christ, you can get saved. Souls are a priceless treasure. Look at Mark chapter 8. The eternal soul of a of a person is precious. It's a treasure. It's eternal. Mark chapter 8 and verse 36 says, For what shall a profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? And then it says, Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? What's the cost? What's the value of one soul? What is equal to that? Well, I think it's the death of our Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. He said, that's what it's going to cost for me to die in your place. That's a heavy price. You know, your body, your body is worth about a dollar, American dollar, about an 86 cent euro. That's what you're worth, as far as chemicals go anyway. That's it. If they boiled you all down, Alan, they'd get 86 cents for you. That's it. But God says, I'm going to die on the cross for Alan. That's what he's worth to me. That's the worth of a soul. We've forgotten that. How precious our own soul was. And then somebody came and told me how to be saved. They knew. I don't want to see Dan go to hell. And we have to see the fields are white under harvest. There will be a harvest. You can count on it. You can count on it. Turn to John chapter 4. We'll finish up here. Well, we'll finish up in the Gospel of John. John chapter 4. The woman at the well there in verse 35. John chapter 4, verse 35. Say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest? Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes, 
And look on the fields, for they are white, all ready to harvest. There will be a harvest. You can count on it. People will get saved if we sow the seed and water it. And believe that people are going to get saved. They are going to get saved. The fields are white already unto harvest. But the laborers, few and far between. Over 90% of Christians don't even soul win. Well, there's the problem. The problem's not with God. The problem's not with the Gospel. And the heart of the heart, the more God can break through it. It's us. The laborers are few. What was Jesus referring to? The harvest. What and why was Jesus referring to the harvest? Look at verse 28. The woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city and saith to the men, Come see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came unto Him. One woman went back into the city after meeting with Christ, and I believe she got saved. And the words that I underline were in verse 28, and saith. She simply opened her mouth. She just simply opened her mouth and said, you got to come see this man that told me everything about me. He knows I've had five husbands. And the one I'm living with now is not my husband. He still loves me. He's the Messiah. you got to come and see him. One woman went and told the men, and she probably stood back and had her head down because she was a woman. This isn't natural for her to go down there and start talking to the men like this. But she opened her mouth and she became a witness. And then Jesus looked and I could see all these people coming. There's a harvest. It's white already unto harvest. People go to hell because we won't be a witness like this woman here. And finally, in John chapter 15. John chapter 15. We read this verse once, but we'll read it again. He says, you have not chosen me, but I've chosen you and ordained you. I've appointed you that you should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain. That whatsoever you shall ask of the Father in my name, He may give it to you. So we are to be fruitful. We're to go and have fruit that sticks around. It's eternal. The only thing I can think about are souls. The obedient soul winner will be fruitful. There's no doubt about it. So these are God's promises. We have to exercise some faith and trust as we go. Remember, you're on the winning side, amen? We're on the winning side. There's going to be a triumph. There's going to be victory. There will be a reaping. So, in conclusion, so let's see. See if you were paying attention. Let's see if you know what the ingredients are to win souls. What was the first one? Toil. That's right. Going. It takes work. Be a bunch of crybabies. Get out of your easy chair and go soul winning. Get out of your flesh and say, look, I mean, I got to tell somebody how to be saved. I got to give them a track. It's going to take work, though. The first thing we have to do is go. And that's work. That's toil. What's the second thing? Tears, good. It's weeping. It's going to take tears. It's going to take a burden. If you don't have one, go with someone else. 
And let them do what they're knocking on the door. Eric has said it a thousand times. Just stand there alongside of me and I'll do the talking. And I guarantee you, you'll go out the next week. Unless you're stone cold hard. You will go out the next week. Because you've seen that people are hopeless. They're in darkness. They need Christ. You'll get a burden. You'll start shedding tears for the lost. What was the next one? Treasure. Good. Sowing. It means we're burying a treasure. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. I don't even have to have my Bible with me. I can go tell somebody. I don't always walk around with my Bible open. But you can tell somebody you're carrying the Gospel with you wherever you go. And bury is it. You bury it in the human heart. What's the next one? Believing is... Trusting, right. Trusting. It's going to take trust. I, sometimes we act as if we don't believe the Gospel. We don't believe anybody's going to get saved. We have to believe. That people are going to get saved. And the last one is triumph. Amen. There's going to be a harvest. You can count on it. If you want to be a part of it, you're going to have to go out there and start telling people about Jesus Christ. So now you know... It's time to go. That's the first step. Let's not be little babies, amen? we got to start walking the walk, so we have to go. Let's pray. With your head bowed and your eyes closed, please, nobody looking around. Is everybody sure they're going to heaven? You're sure you're going to heaven. You're absolutely sure. When you die, you're going to heaven. Amen. You're sure too, right? Okay, let's all hand go up. Amen. You're sure. Good. So you're going to go soul winning, right? Heavenly Father, I pray that we would realize that we are saved. Why we wouldn't share that with someone else is beyond me. I know that it hurts you when I don't do what I'm supposed to do. It bothers you, Lord. It grieves your heart when we hold something so precious to ourselves and won't share it with someone else. So God, I pray that we would start this week sharing our faith. Sharing the Gospel. Putting all the teas into the pot and watch, watch something wonderful happen. Lord, that recipe, we will see a soul saved. Father, if each one of us just reached one person this year, we could double we would multiply. So Father, I'm praying that You'll take this simple one, one verse and apply it to our hearts, Lord. Break our hearts with it, Lord, please. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.